So in meditation we're deepening the experience of mind. So ordinary person probably consider their mind to be a thinking activity. Or you might consider it, if you broaden the sense of the word mind, my heart, my mind, my getting some more like the um, mind states, happy, frightened, joyful, you know, it's my mind, my mind is a mess, scrambled, agitated, so this is more the mind, mindset or mind states. Uh, And uh, the Buddha, when you're talking about mind at this level, this is the mind affected by, you know, joy, fear, aversion, so forth. So, what we often consider our mind to be when we talk about particular mind states is really the various effects that are happening. Mm-hmm. So we say that's not that's not actually your mind. That's what's happening to it. This is the sankara. <clears throat> Some of them are quite familiar patterns that we get a very strong sense of me. We get a bit trapped in it or fed up with it, or uh, but at the same time we get familiar with it. Those particular mind states, patterns, psychological references. That's me. This is a sankara, jitta sankara. What we also recognise becomes almost an entry into meditation is something else, isn't there? Something I know I'm I know I'm in a mess. What is it that knows my mind is a mess? What is it that knows I'm happy? You know, something else, or you could say, you know, experientially it seems like another quality there that that um recognizes this and sometimes it recognizes oh you're just a bit uptight now just relax will you just take it easy or you'll get over it it'll change you know so occasionally you get these messages from some other place and where's that is this god speaking to me you can get this sense of the you know uh, something of that nature or a quiet inner voice of conscience or what well this is another uh level <clears throat> this is chitta. You might say it's um, a very deep sense of self, not just the personal, socialized self, but a kind of deeper sense of self. Um, so, quite a lot of uh, religious practices take us to this place you know, your true self, your soul. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and Buddhism takes you to this place, it takes you through it, because also, but it, it takes you to this place. Uh, but it's, that's not the final resting place. But that's you come to this particular place of your, you might say, your true self. Though of course this is a dangerous thing to say in Buddhist circles. But <laughs> it's uh, uh, there are certain qualities there. It feels very. Uh, you're glad when you get there because it seems really. Hey, this is the bottom line. This is really, you know, what I can be guided by. Hmm. it's not socialized, so it seems to be authentic. In other words, it's not just something that I've kind of learnt or acquired from other people. It seems more innate, you know, 
uh, and it hasn't got a lot of views. It's just there to help keep things in balance. It says just just relax or come on, we can do it. You know, it's a kind of um, a quiet voice that uh, seems to hold all the others in some sense of helping you get perspective on all the others. Um, Jitta. And the Buddha said you should become skilled in this. Develop this, uh, make this uh, prominent. Not as a, not as some identity, but as a, as an asset. Mm. Chitta. So one way in which we keep referring to that, as I've talked about, the quality of intent. Mm. Chitta and Chetana, and uh, so our, our intent can be very much ensnared, caught up with circumstances, you know, we want to have this, get rid of that, become this, change this, have one of those and so forth. But when you get to the really, the bottom line of intent, it's, what is it, what is it about? Essentially it's something like, you know, to be free, to be knowing. I would say that essentially it comes down to the feeling of it is to find the really stable place. You know, uh, that's the that's my mind is the feeling of it, a place where I'm no longer shoved and pushed and scrunched and driven and whirling and you know a place where it's really steady and peaceful. And uh, and it's it's mine. It's authentic. It's not something I've added to it. It's it's you've kind of sieved through and you got to the the fundament. So, so this then when we take refuge and we reflect on things like the, the death of all that we know and the physical decay and then the even the um, unpredictable nature of circumstances, you know, changeable nature of them, the plans don't quite work out, things you set up don't quite happen, things you hadn't planned for happen, it's good, then it's bad, then it's happy, then it's uh, oh, you know, enough of this fairground, you know, merry-go-round of stuff. I like to get to the, you know, something more more fundamental and grounded than this. Yeah. So we get nipita, which is a sense of enough. I've, I've had enough of this. You know, disinclination, disenchantment, which is not so much aversion as just a, as hatred. It's just the feeling of, oh, I've lost my taste of this. My, my, my I've had enough of this. Yeah. So refuge, isn't it? You, know, you, see the, you see the changeable, the inconstant, the variable, the unreliable nature of conditioned phenomena, enough. Um, and then Buddha pointing to, or the uh, image of deathlessness, serenity, steadiness, grounded, peaceful. Yeah, that's, that's where I want to be. Mm. So then this is one way of suggesting perhaps how, how our intent for all of us kind of forms up. We can't always uh, know, you know the specifics of that, but I suggest this is really what bottom line for us is. And it's the, the constant or the reliable, the genuine, 
Another way in which uh, mind, chitta, is at this level is to be, can be understood and be recognized, is, is knowing. There is intent, which is a sense of purpose, or losing, losing, losing one set of aims and just simplifying one's aim down to one purpose. It's a pruning and a gathering and a grounding of intent. Another level is knowing. And the knowing is not um, a diffusive knowing, a knowing that adds more and more ideas and uh, to, to the mix. It's a, it's a very radical knowing which just knows that specifically things change. Specifically. So it's not just a kind of a, another bit of ideology, but it's the real knowing means you're, you're, that chitta meets something. It meets an object and feels that object change, shift. Mm. So it's not an ideology, not a set of theories that you carry around and then use as a, a way of distancing oneself. You know, oh, well, that's going to change anyway, don't bother. It's all impermanent. Somebody else keeled over and died, so well, that's it, life's like that. That's, that's, that's philosophy. That's not practice, that's ideology, philosophy. And that means you, you don't ever contact anything specifically. And this is, I think, one of the drawbacks with Anicca, is we can, we can distance ourselves to the point where um, using it as a way of not meeting experience, of not really feeling the change. In other words, the ideology becomes a constant. <laughs> you know, we take refuge in a philosophy, in an ideology, in a, in a kind of uh, detached stance. Yeah, which, mm, yeah, that's true, that's, has some benefits, I suppose, but the problem is you don't really get the mindfulness. Mm. So how does mindfulness and non-attachment work together? Mindfulness, you're actually touching something directly. Non-attachment is you, you're knowing it changes, and yet you do keep touching. Mm. So it's not a, it's all going to change anyway, so don't bother to touch it. You know, don't bother to be there because it's going to pass. That's a, that's a kind of defense. But to, to really, to mindfulness, knowing with mindfulness means you actually bring your mind onto something, feeling, thought, impression, bodily impression, sensation, mood, as it's happening, and you feel it shifting. Mm. That gives you deep insight. That's not a philosophy. That's a realization. Because when you're really on something that melts, where are you? you know, what happens when the ground disappears? Your mind opens into something that can't be named. It opens into a release. Or this is, this is, so Anicca is then considered, talked about as being the door, the gateway to... Um, signlessness, signlessness, something that has no particular sign or characteristic. It's not hard or soft or bright or dark. It's signless. That's what happens when you, you, your, your attention is fully poised on something and it, 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 it's like touching melting snow. But instead of landing on an idea, like or a Nietzsche, or another thought, your mind just opens into 
the space. The, hmm? that's, that's, so that's the kind of knowing. It's a mindful knowing. It has discernment. It says, oh, this, you know, passes. What happens in the moment of passing? Something passing. And you can only do that if you're really prepared to be quite specific and get on the ball, get on the point. The mind has has this quality then, knowing, which is slightly different. Intent is a sense of aim or purpose or groundedness. Um, Knowing is a sense of meeting things and uh, getting, going to the experience of their ephemeral nature. Another aspect of mind is something like uh, space, actually. Mind is also the, the place of release or space or openness. You recognize, you know, when you're doing a number of things, you know, you're talking and uh, doing the washing up, and you're aware of what's happening in your body, so you suddenly realize you're standing in something damp, yeah? And so you've got talking, holding a conversation, remembering what you're doing, washing the dishes, and aware, you know, you put your foot in something wet. How come all those, you know, what is it that keeps all those experiences in one place? You know, it's not three different people. Uh, Something kind of holds the space, doesn't it? All these phenomena arise within a something that we never say what that is, but we might say, oh, it's my, myself, it's happening to me. All this is happening to me. I'm talking, washing the dishes, and I'm standing in something wet, I'm feeling this sense of dampness in my foot. All this is happening to me. Yeah. But, what, which, what, what me? <laughs> you know, what, what is that? You might say it's something like location of awareness. But recognize that it's like something that can contain a whole range of, of, of phenomena. That's why I call it space. It can contain everything. Essentially itself, it isn't any of them. If it was, you know, then, then these others wouldn't have room. Or the, but it's something that pure function is just to contain everything that happens. It's the location of, of, of experience, the locus of awareness, space. And normally, of course, that space is pretty, seems pretty full. Yeah, there are kind of subliminal things happening, like a basic wish to get going and get out of here or get on and so forth. There's that kind of churning away in the background. And occasionally there's other little tunes, like an orchestra. A little piccolo comes in with, oh, what are we going to have to dinner today? What are we going to have to dinner today? Underneath it is, I want to get going, I want to get going, I want to get going. And, <laughs> and occasionally there's something like, what's the bird doing on the window? Some bird's chapping on the window, or, oh, my foot hurts. So you've got these different kind of or- instruments in the orchestra. And occasionally you hear one, or you hear, or you just, sometimes you hear the whole lot playing together. You know, you focus on one of those. 
But actually, you recognize that, that you know, all that's occurring seemingly to one person. Who is that? It's not the hearing, because you don't hear the feeling in your foot. It's not the tactile feeling, because you don't have a tactile impression of the thought, what's, happened, what's for dinner today. It's not the thought, because you don't think the sound of the birds. So it encompasses all the bases of consciousness. Is it consciousness then? Whatever that is. We, we might use that word for it. Um, so sometimes chitta is translated as or synonymous with consciousness. But there is one um, distinction, is that, that consciousness is really this, this sense of awareness which creates the sense of also, part of what it does is it creates a sense of this happening to me. So we hear a sound, I'm hearing a sound. We taste some food, I'm tasting some food. Mm. Feeling in my foot, that's happening to me. Happening to me, to me, to me, to me, to me. That's, that's, the, that's the bit of consciousness, is the object and a subject. Mm. So you might say the third aspect of mind is it's like that, it's like consciousness. But actually the experience of it, whatever we use the word, is a sense of a space within which occur, things occur, and a space that's held or assumed to be me. And this becomes extremely significant because the more we can actually you know, deepen into that and calm into that and steady into that, it doesn't have to be happening to me. You know? it, it's just happening. Things are just happening. And how does that occur, this possibility? It's really through the other two bases, intent, which means you're really holding things very steady. So there's not a lot of worry and agitation and hunger. Yeah. And you realize that those are the things that, that seed the impression of me, that's the interest, the desire, the aversion. That's one, that's one source of dependent origin of the sense of me. Knowing, well, when knowing is biased with what does this mean? Have, can I accumulate some more knowledge? Uh, it tells me what to do. Then that's another basis of me, isn't it? Now, when we don't actually want to know what to do or to acquire knowledge, we just let things happen and we're aware of them changing and emptying rather than, oh, that's interesting, a new one, fascinated with that, more of these. One basis of the, the me is no longer being encouraged. What happens when our intent is just to be present? Yeah, not to develop anything, become anything, find anything, gain anything, lose anything, prove anything. You know, in other words, when that intent is purified of the, this kind, of these kinds of uh, pulls and pushes, that's another big basis of me has gone. Then perhaps there can be there's just this openness to to knowing in a spacious way. There isn't that impulse to actually fill up the space with more bits of feeling and impression. So it starts to empty a little bit more. But 
because we've established the kind of firmness of intent, it remains firm. Yeah. Because, of course, for an ordinary uncultivated mind, when, when some of the content disappears, there's a little bit of a fluster, something else to put in there. You're on an empty bag. So the hunger for me, for some meanness, something to get my teeth into, something to be charged by or buzzed by or um, lifted by or whatever by, that's what keeps that particular activity, the me, in going. So when there isn't very much, as we all know, you know, in a retreat time, you know, the whole inclination of our lives is kind of emptying, still we find, you know, suddenly it gets quite busy in there with the things I remember I should have done, and things I did ten years ago, and things I could do in five years' time, and the nature of um, what arahants, whether arahants eat in the evening or not, or whether, you know, whatever one's the thing is. Uh, you know, we get like really, this becomes it's kind of luminous. I've really got to figure this out. And depending what your inclinations are, mine tend to be of the, of the uh, hunger for knowledge. So I sometimes sit there in one retreat trying to remember who wrote William Tell Overture. It's not important to know who wrote the William Tell Overture. I eventually found, figured it out, but I said, this ridiculous kind of craving to have a little fill up the gap for other people it's doing something you get the sense of making creating you know or it can be company you know a feeling of uh, some warmth some friendship and these aren't evil things are they they're nothing I wouldn't I don't want to be critical you know we all have our stuff to work with and uh, you know but notice the, the, the way in which suddenly things that become very, very big and important and significant. Hmm. The space fills up as a kind of hunger to sort one's life out or to get things figured. Hmm. And that the me fills up the space. Whatever space we create, I will fill it up. That is for sure. Hmm. And it gets to be much more than the internal, doesn't it? I remember when we used to, this monastery in years ago, in the good old days. <laughs> oh no, here he goes again. <laughs> when men were men and women were men as well. <laughs> we used to sleep four in a room and, uh, you know, no space in the four, six in a room. Six, thank you, six in a room. Morning puja, work all day, sit all night, work next day, no time off. You know, if you're very good, you know, if you're very good and very senior, you might get a weekend in the forest. Yeah. And did nobody complained. You were too, too burnt out to complain. <laughs> and now, what is it like, you know, share a room for a night with somebody else, oh, you know, disturb my meditation, you know. So, because so, there's never enough room, really. Even the forest isn't big enough. Yeah. Just notice the kind of, you know, how, how much space me can take. <laughs> uh, 
And still something happens. I think, oh God, you know, somebody's walked the dog, they're walking the dog in the forest. Somebody's walking the dog in the forest, it's driving me nuts. You know. Somebody, uh, somebody's chainsawing, you know, a quarter of a mile away, I can hear it, it's really bothering me, I can't stand it. You know. How come it gets so big? These things get so big for us. You know? It's like the space opens up, there's a vacuum cleaner in there, looking for something to suck up. <laughs> You know, the me abhors a vacuum. So it finds some particular object, some little thing, like a fly buzzing on the window pane. And, well, this thing is driving me nuts. You know, I can't. How can you meditate here? Perhaps I hope I'm exaggerating. But I, I, I know the experience myself. It, it does show one the, the kind of tremendous pull of this, this um, habit, the me habit. But when we, so, you know, even though one can kind of understand, there's an idea, theory of space, openness, emptying, not self, to, to actually realize it, you've got to work against some pretty powerful currents and habits, accumulation habit, territorial instinct, you know, get out of here, leave me alone, don't bother me. Um, uh, wanting to be, have some kind of a mood or feeling that's good and happy and comfortable and calm. Something in us looks for the constant. But we look for the constant and the, and the comfortable in things. And things are not constant and not comfortable. But space is. It's the only thing that we've always had, always will have. <laughs> we've always had the space. You know, it's had things in it, but it's always been there. It always will be there. It's a kind of, so this, we might say, is deathlessness. And it, it comes around through the release of the attachment to, to things and thinging. You know, the meanness, which actually is, pulls things into us, pulls things into the space. It's not even really the problem with things, with, with um, sounds and sights and thoughts. It's the, it's the me that, that takes these and fills all the space with them, you know, and with the moods and reactions to them. That's essentially the, the nub of it, isn't it? <coughs> Uh, how, so, well, what's the practice then? Well, we say this quality of, of intent gives you the strength. And I think this is important. This is the samadhi power, holding presence, strength. You know, the determination power, the um, you know, determination, aditana, and concentration, one-pointedness, really holding. So that uh, the mind isn't just kind of zipping out to this, that, this, that, this, that, this, that. And stabilizing, it, the sta- stability helps to um, stabilize the sensitivity. So we're not being so radically affected by everything. I think this is important. What samadhi does is it gives you a place where you're in something that's, that's got its own feeling and energy, so therefore you're not so affected by other things. Samadhi has got a particular quality of 
of ease and um, happiness to it. So you're in that, so other stuff doesn't really penetrate. Then the mindfulness and discernment, knowing, is that, you know, ability to touch the moment, let it pass. So your whole um, gearing up of knowing is just to meet and let let go, let it let it change, let it pass. Mm-hmm. This is clarity. Clarity. I come to call these bases basic strength, basic clarity. You know, clarity is that it's not necessarily you know you know everything that's going on, but you know it to the extent of it comes and it goes. It arises and ceases. Um, I can do that. I can be clear to that extent. You know, you just keep your eye on the ball and don't worry about the, the, the goals, as it were, or the foot that's striking it. Just at that point. And uh, space is like, a, I sometimes call this basic trust. Because it's the ability to be open and... Um, without uh, the filling that openness up with a conclusion, with an answer, with knowledge, with promises, with goals. Hmm? To my mind, what that requires me to do that is a sense of real, real trust. Uh, I don't have to know the answer there, but I don't have to know what's happening tomorrow. I don't have to figure out these things, a real anxious worry mind. Or uh, I want to get one of these, I want to have one of those, I want to become like this, I want to make it like that, real kind of goal-driven mind, karma-driven mind. Uh, To my mind it requires very deep trust in just, you know, being here, being awake. This is all you can ever be. Hmm. This is the only constant. There are some very good things around, really enjoyable, deep, valuable things. But, you know, if you want to really get down to it, if you really want to get down to it, this is the only thing. (laughs) Remember the Buddha, when he described the Buddha, could travel through the whole of psychocosmos and to the different planes of rapture and bliss and infinite space, infinite consciousness, neither perception nor perception. He said, these are the best things. You want to cling and feed on something, this is the best stuff. But he says, but deathlessness is just the not clinging. You know, it's none of these. Or it can be any of these, provided you don't cling to them. Provided there isn't the kind of feeding on it. And the feeding, clinging, same word, upadana, is that kind of the thing that fills the space because I want to be that, I want to have that, I want to make that, I want to get there, I want to stand there, I want it, that's for me, mine. Mm. And what if we could, you know, really trust? Doesn't it help some of that uh, sense of orphanage, you know, like to find your place? You already are your place. You're already at home. These are just colloquial ways of trying to, you know, invoke certain quality 
And therefore, all that really we need to know is, here's the, wor- here's the aversion, here's the worry, here's the, the um, excitement or whatever it is. And no judgment, no blaming, just know it rises. Okay. Fine. You know, this is a patterning that we all have to work with and takes different and specific personal forms, but essentially it's of this nature. Basic, uh, basic strength, basic clarity, basic trust is a little package I've kind of put together for myself. It's simple in a way. Uh, to me it describes really not even what I've got to get, but what I already have. But often kind of I've got all other stuff stacked on top of it. You know, there is strength, but it tends to get um, diffused into uh, holding this and holding that, and making this and making that. So I'm carrying, juggling a whole huge amount of things. There is some clarity, but again, that gets diffused into knowing history and knowing geography and knowing language and knowing, you know, knowing all kinds of bits of information quite well, you know, till your brain starts breaking up and you forget things memory starts going, can't do it so much, so that's not constant. And there is some trust, and yet often the trust is not really in what's innate, in, in, you know, in something that's, that's here already. You know, there is a kind of sense of, oh, this is the right thing to be doing, you know. But um, that gets, it, get, it tends to get projected out onto dumber things. You know, trust and openness into the very fundament of mind all the time everything that's been happening all the time from day one of my life all the time there's been that space there that knew it it wasn't necessarily good at organising it making sense out of it but all the time that's that's what it was that's the basis of consciousness and what really the the task if you like or the job is to just Release consciousness, the release from consciousness, release from this, this selfing experience, which is the, the, um, what the ordinary consciousness is about, happening to me. And of course, conventionally speaking, that's an important bit of consciousness. You want to know that that, that sensation is my foot, not just some interesting thing happening out there. That's me and I've got to do something about it. Yeah, so it's not to say that this me shouldn't happen, but that we, it's not happening just neurotically. That is, you know, it's happening because of craving. You know, I've got to find a me, so I'll fill it up. But it's happening as a function that's no longer a dominant aim of our life. It's a functional thing that keeps this psychophysical thing in shape and supervises it. But there's no hunger for it. It has no appetite. It's, it's had enough. Sometimes this is really just, um, you know, one recognizes it's a matter of time, really. Not my, my sense of it. You wanna, this is kind of dumber teaching. 
and understanding it and yet you see appetites are still there and it's humbling anyone wants praise or you know nice things and yeah there it is and yet also just to the knowing that's where the knowing comes in because you're just knowing oh here's the here's the uh, excitement or the pride or the wanting this or the wanting to be uh, respected or you know it's humbling sometimes you see the patterning of, of selfhood yet who doesn't want that who wants to be despised and ignored <laughs> we'll want praise of some kind of affection you know okay now you've had some haven't you we've all had some was it enough <laughs> was it enough no it wasn't enough it didn't do the job did it really we all had some good stuff happening to us and let's hope we'll have some more but it's it's just it's not it doesn't take you where you want to go uh, so you actually bring your attention onto some of those patterns. You know, I want to want to succeed. I want to feel my life be significant. You know, I don't want to be a failure. I want to be, you know, I want to be brave. I wish I was stronger and braver and more courageous than what I am. Or, you know, worries and doubts and things. And you know, the the um, deepening of the practice is finally we're not intimidated by this stuff. You're not embarrassed by it anymore. <laughs> oh God, shut up! You know, the twittering me starts again. Oh, please, couldn't you be more noble? <laughs> sort of nagging on about some little thing. You know, this is compassion. You know, compassion, which isn't so much a sense of admiration, really, like knowing with no judgment. Just there it is. The knowing is the kind of, you know nattering mind, wheedling mind, mind mind affected by. And when you look in the Satipatthana, well, it's pretty stirring stuff. This is the mind, of Buddha puts it down pretty broad brush, you know. This is the mind affected by greed, affected by hatred, affected by lust. He doesn't kind of beat about the bush. You know, puts down some very big, powerful statements there. And this is the mind contracted or restricted freed, liberated, and so on. So you kind of, these are the effects, aren't they? Some of them are not things we really want to know about. But, so the knowing has to be knowing that doesn't say, well, you're like this, well, you know, looks like you've got defilements there, monks shouldn't be like this, and nuns shouldn't think that way. You know, you want to have a knowing that doesn't do all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So the knowing becomes uh, just a, mm-hmm. and you know what your intent is. Keep establishing the intent. Someone was telling me they had a wicked thoughts book. I won't say who it was. Perhaps we all got wicked thoughts books. You think I'm talking about? <laughs> they could write down their wicked thoughts. <laughs> And eventually, you know, you get so, so kind of, well, so what, you know. It doesn't, doesn't have the same kind of uh, furtive, <laughs> subterranean quality to it. You know, it's all out there now. <laughs> so you've yeah, got the same kind of sense of 
furtiveness or, or, or embarrassment or awkwardness about it, you're putting it out there. Uh, and so they're opening the mind up and just seeing the way it is. And then, but then really, you know, your intent, and no, no, you don't want to do this to the point where it just becomes a kind of madhouse of every crazy idea or thought. But, um, you know, because then you can lose the quality of space. You start to believe in it. You lose touch with the space, the holding of it, too much. Or you lose touch with the intent. Your intent is not to get fascinated with how wacky your brain can get or how weird you can get. Your intent is just, look, gather in, focus, time is passing. You know, find a way in which you can get, see through this stuff and get back to the, to the fundament of mind. In, in Dhamma practice, I'd suggest there are these modes which we have to adjust, you know. I don't say it's one mode. I don't say it's all space. You know, just be spacious and trusting because that, unfortunately, doesn't necessarily give you the same kind of quality of firmness and ground and clarity. I don't say it's all just firm intent because that doesn't necessarily give you the scope to, to reveal and um, uh, be, be openly aware. It's got too, it's a lot of motivation in it. Sometimes the intent begins to fill up the space too. You get too driven. I don't say it's all just about being mindful, you know, even though that's very important. But mindfulness alone um, doesn't necessarily give you the sense of the... Of the um, discrimination or discernment, say this isn't worth being mindful of, forget about it, stop, just don't bother with that, get on this, this is the important stuff, you know, the intent. But all three, and maybe times when we actually just have to firm up our intent, sometimes there's times we just have to be much more just space and trust, you know, you just get tired, strained, so you need to get too narrow and, and, and um, constricted, so you just spacious, open up. Uh, and there's times when it's just things are just, uh, you can't really establish much of a strong focus, so you just know the thought in the moment, the mood in the moment, as it changes, and you focus in that particular way. If it's just unskillfully, my suggestion is that, that, it, that they will tend to lead into each other. They're not really separate. They're kind of slight distinct, but they're not really separate. Um, aspects. So if there is the sharpness, it will eventually take you, the clarity will take you to the firmness of intent, and take you to spaciousness. They all mix together. And, um, you know, deathlessness, this is the freedom from the, of the chitta through not clinging, 